0: Hello! Welcome to What's What with Klutz. I'm Kelly, your host, aka Coach Klutz, and this is a podcast mostly about running and strength training, but also with some life sprinkled in. So, happy to have you here, and let's get into today's episode! Welcome back to another week. This one will be day two of the free series I did back in January. So last week was day one where we talked about base building and easy running. And this week we talk about adding in speed, intensity, and what to look out for for overtraining, which I know we talked about two weeks ago, but we're going to talk about it again because all of us can be reminded about the symptoms to look out for. So... Hopefully you enjoy this episode, and then next week will be day three of the series I did in January, so the last of the retro episodes, Um, and then we'll be back to some new topics after that. Enjoy this episode. So first, I'm going to do a really quick recap on what we talked about yesterday. If you guys have any questions about what we talked about, just pop them in. Oh, good. Ray tried to talk to herself a bit more on her run yeah it's it's kind of hard <laughs> to get used to running that easy um, I mean I still struggle with it and I feel like I've known that I have to do this for a while but it will benefit all of us in the long run so just as a reminder um, what we're talking about right now is easy running and base building so the goal of base building is to develop our aerobic system so our body is more efficient in using oxygen. Um, that's the primary ener- energy system when we're doing our long, easy runs. Uh, and we also have the goal of building up to running frequently and consistently so our musculoskeletal system can handle the demands of running before we start adding on any speed or hills or uh, extra volume, which is what we're talking about today and so just a reminder if you guys haven't looked at the pdf from today yet the first three types of runs that we talked about yesterday were recovery where it's easy to speak your rpe is around three or four the second easiest is endurance which is what most of our easy runs but that's what the pace is um those are conversational rpe of five to six and then steady state that's a little harder than our endurance but easier than tempo which is what we're going to talk about today and those you can speak two to three sentences at a time and RPE of seven so those are the big ideas from yesterday Um, also as I'm going feel free leave comments interrupt me ask questions interact Um, I like the feedback and like knowing what you guys are thinking about what I'm talking about So. First, I want to start out with why should we add speed into our routines and who should add speed into the routines? So the short answer is everyone um, should add speed, even ultra runners. So if you're training for an ultra, you might think my ultra is so long and low intensity. Why should I add any speed in? and what I'm about to go over will explain that. So when we're talking about speed, we're usually talking about two paces that we're keeping track of. So yesterday we talked about lactate threshold heart rate and max heart rate. Um, So on the alternative side for pace is lactate threshold pace, which is that pace where um, we can hold it for about an hour and that's when the lactate production exceeds lactate utilization in our cells and it starts spilling into our bloodstream. So that's our tempo run pace usually, um, a sustained heart effort. And then the VO2 max pace is more in line with our max heart rate. So that's when you're running your hardest. Um, VO2 max, if you're not familiar, is the maximum amount of oxygen your body can use and the test that measures that basically pushes you to run as hard as you can until you can't anymore, and it measures how much oxygen you're using. Um, So when we're talking about those two paces, the lactate threshold is always below our VO2 max, um, because that's basically our ceiling. Um, So we incorporate speed in order to improve our body's lactate threshold, which is what our temper runs are for, or we improve our VO2 max, which is what the running intervals are for. So what exactly are we aiming to do when we include speed? Um, we're trying to improve our running economy. So running economy is how efficient you are as a runner. And hi, Chelsea. If you improve your running economy, then you can run the same pace, the same hard pace with less effort. So you guys probably remember yesterday we were talking about as you get more aerobically fit, you can run your easy pace a little faster with the same amount of effort. Uh, So when we're improving running economy, we're trying to improve or run a harder pace with the less effort than before. So if we increase our lactate threshold and VO2 max bases, we will increase our running economy and become more efficient. So one thing I want to address is those of us who run longer races, marathons, or ultras, um, a lot of people end up focusing on tempo runs a lot because they will improve your lactate threshold and they are closer to your race intensity than the running intervals. Um, But the problem with that is, so if this is my lactate threshold and this is my VO2 max, I can only increase my lactate threshold until I hit my ceiling. So we really want to use workouts that will increase both of those, because if you increase your VO2 max, then you can increase your lactate threshold even higher and then trickle down your easy pace will run as or will raise as well. So we want to incorporate tempo runs and also those short hard um, efforts. So basically speed makes all running easier at the end of the day. And that's why we should all include it. So now that we know why we should include speed, the next logical question is when should you start incorporating speed workouts um, so since we just left off yesterday with building your base and we talked about the three metrics that you can see if you're increasing your aerobic fitness the resting heart rate recovery heart rate and running the same pace with an, a lower effort level um, once you feel pretty comfortable with the volume of your easy running in your base, it could be a good time to start incorporating speed. Um, And if you're more of a hard numbers person, usually the aerobic phase lasts anywhere from four to 10 weeks. So after that point, it's a good time to start incorporating some speed. And um, I think the best way to get into speed workouts, if you are new to adding speed or intensity, either a newer runner coming back from injury, taking a long time off, is just adding strides to your runs a couple times a week. So strides are based, they're not an all out sprint. They are where you increase your speed by lengthening your stride for about 15 to 30 seconds. And when you're doing these, the focus is on, hi Robin, the focus is on, smooth speed not you know all out at your max dying trying to push yourself along um, but it's more it's like fun bounding but you're going fast if that makes sense and the point of these is they reinforce good running form and they increase your nor- neuromuscular connections so it's like a gateway into speed as i like to think of it and Dre actually asked me a question, how often should we incorporate strides and when during a run? So if you're just starting out incorporating strides, uh, I would say start out one to two times per week, Um, but you could do up to two to three times per week depending on how your body handles the additional load. Um, And it's recommended to do them in the second half of an easy run or at the end so that you don't go too hard and blow your easy run. So, I like to do mine at the end. Um, It's just easier for my brain to comprehend. (laughs) It's like do my easy run, do my strides, you know, but you could also do it randomly in the second half. Um, So with that I'm going to go over the next two runs from the chart in the pdf so we had recovery endurance steady state the next run up is your tempo run this is one used for improving your body's ability to process and utilize lactate since these are run around your lactate threshold pace Uh, with these you will do them in intervals Uh, the interval times are anywhere between 8 to 20 minutes and your total time at your threshold pace should be 30 to 60 minutes in one run and the work to recovery ratio for those is usually 2 to 1 and your RPE is 8 to 9. Your breathing rate is deeper and more labored than your steady state runs. So an example of one of these workouts would be a 2 hour endurance run which remember is our easy run with 3 by 12 minutes at your tempo pace with 6 minutes recovery. So you can see here we're doing interval length of 12 minutes for each tempo run and then the total time at this pace is 36 minutes so when you're building your own workouts you can play around with how long you want your intervals to be and just make sure that the total time from all those intervals added up is between 30-60 minutes and then the highest Um, run on that chart is the running intervals so this is what I think most people think about when we say speed workouts Um, you know all-out sprints trying your hardest RPE of 10 Um, these are used to increase your VO2 max pace Um, and the work-to-recovery ratio for these is one-to-one because you're working really hard and these intervals are usually well the cat wants attention Hi. Um, these interview intervals are usually only one to three minutes but you can get up to 10 or 12 to 24 minutes total at that intensity and when you're breathing during these it's short and rapid because you're pretty much dying. Um, so an example for one of these workouts would be a one-hour endurance run with eight by two minutes hard two minutes recovery so you're doing two-minute interval efforts for a total time of 16 minutes at your RPE 10 pace. So similarly to the tempo, when you're building your interval workouts, um, choose any interval length between one to three minutes based on what you want to work. The longer intervals will be at a slightly lower pace than your shorter intervals because it's harder to hold the same pace for longer. Um, and then you just make sure that your total time at that intensity is 12 to 24 minutes and then not on the chart but one of my favorite speed workouts especially when you're first getting into it or getting back into it is fartlets. so they would technically fall under intervals but they're also kind of tempo depending on how you do them Um, but I like to think of them as unstructured intervals or surges. Um, So, I like these because they're really easy for anyone to fit in their runs and if you don't really want a super structured workout like 2x10 or something like that, you can just go out for your easy run and then spot a tree in the distance and run hard to that tree and then run easy for a bit and then find another landmark and run hard to that landmark and just do that like five times, you know. And that can also be a way to make it a little more fun and less daunting than the actual intervals. So, if you are completely new to adding in speed, um, you have to be a little careful because that added intensity is more stress on your body. So, the recommended way to work it in is first with the strides um, and then once you start intervals it's recommended to start them on hills because there is less impact on your body so there's less chance for injury as you're doing those harder efforts and this helps with your form since when you're running uphill you're forced to land more on your midfoot and lean forward at the same time which is the ideal most efficient um running form and then once you feel good about hill intervals and they start to get a little easier you can progress to intervals on flat Um, and just be a little careful here because that is a lot more impact on your body than the hills so just watch out for that when you add that and then once you're feeling great with your flat intervals You can play around with recovery time, reduce the recovery time between intervals to make it a little harder. Um, So that brings me to another question from Dre. She asks, how often should we do speed workouts? So if you're first starting out with the strides, like I said before, uh, try one to two times a week see how your body responds, um, or two to three times depending on your background and your base. Um, And then once you go into the higher effort levels, like intervals, uh, start with one speed day and then go from there, depending on how you recover, how your body responds, how you're feeling physically and mentally. And then once you are a little more adapted to speed, you can work up to two to three times a week. And when i say speed i do mean intervals and tempo workouts so a lot of times i've seen people do on wednesday will be like their workout wednesday and they'll do their harder intervals that day and then on their long run on the weekend they'll throw in some tempo intervals in the middle to have some hard sustained efforts in between their easy runs on in the Long run as a whole, and that also counts as a speed workout. So that would be two times per week. Okay, Lexi says Are the hill intervals left impact because you're falling a short distance with each step, or is it because you can get to the same level intensity in a shorter distance? Oh, that's a good question. I think I like how you said you're falling a shorter distance with each step. I think it's more of that because you're not like pounding the ground as much, it's a little it's a a lot more forgiving. Um, Since it's an uphill slope, you're more on your toes and your footsteps tend to be lighter. Um, So like next time you're running up a hill, try, I would challenge you to try to like stomp your feet up the hill as you're running. And you'll probably find it pretty hard compared to if you're running on flat ground, you you can really easily stomp your way around, you know, and still be running, but with the hill your your steps tend to be a lot lighter um and if you do feel like you're stomping on your easy runs trying to run with quiet feet can help uh, and that's also actually one of our tips from tomorrow when we're talking about downhill running for ultras um cool so now i want to talk about how you fit your speed into your overall training plan for a race um because i don't know about you guys but hilis i in the past have been really confused about like what speed workout should i do and when and then i'll just end up doing a random speed workout and then another random one the next week and then another random one and then maybe stop doing speed at all but Um, what I learned in my ultra certificate and from reading this book, the happy runner. If you guys don't know the roaches, they're amazing. So when you're building your training plan for a race, you want to train least specific to most specific. So for example, for ultras, they are low intensity for a really long time. So Least specific would be our running intervals. So we want to do those farther from the race. And then, Dre, what sounds like you? Oh, the speed stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I feel like I never really learned it until I tried to seek it out (laughs) recently. Um, Anyway, okay. So we want to do our hard intervals farther from the race because they are not specific to our ultra. And then as we get closer to the ultra, we are working on that endurance going really far for a long time with low intensity and on the flip side if you're training for like a 5k then you're going to basically do the opposite as you get closer to the race you're going to be spending a lot higher time doing intense interval efforts because a 5k is very intense compared to an ultra so According to the Happy Runner and the Roaches, the general progression that your training plan should go is first is the aerobic phase, which we talked about yesterday. And this lasts anywhere from 4 to 10 weeks. So building your base. Um, Second is Economy Phase 1. This lasts anywhere from 2 to 8 weeks. This is where you emphasize strides and short intervals to improve your running economy to make yourself a more efficient runner. And when you do start adding in the intervals and strides, uh, more so intervals than strides, but you do want to drop your volume initially to account for the added intensity and then build your volume back up from there just to make sure that you're giving your body the best chance at not getting injured or overtraining. And this is also a block where fart licks and light tempo runs during your long runs are good because it gets you used to running a little bit faster but it's not the intensity of um really hard tempos or intervals yet so then the next phase would be economy phase two as they call it this lasts anywhere from two to six weeks um this is where you emphasize your lactate threshold through tempo and hill workouts and periodically you can do speed endurance work so longer intervals probably around the three minute range rather than the one minute range and your aerobic volume increases around 10 to 20 percent here Um, and you add harder tempos during your long runs and if you are a trail runner going for an ultra this is usually where you would add in your back-to-back long runs on trails uh, so you get that extra long stimulus. And then the final phase, which is the one closest to your race, which is also the one where you're going to peak in, is the specific phase. Um, so this lasts anywhere from three to eight weeks, and this is where you emphasize metabolic efficiency at your race effort. So what I was just talking about before, for shorter races, you're going to be doing more time at intensity and as the race gets closer, and you're going to emphasize workouts where the total volume is greater than or equal to the race duration at similar intensities. So for example, for a 5K, that could mean workouts like 5 by 1K at 5K pace. So then you're running each of those intervals at your 5K pace um, for a total amount equal to your race, just getting used to doing the pace at for that distance, but broken up so that on race day, you're ready to go that hard for that long. And then on the flip side, for ultras, we do our high intensity earlier in the plan, like I mentioned, and then closer to the race, there's more emphasis on longer runs with sustained efforts on similar terrain if possible. Um, So if you can train on similar trails to your race, You want to do that closer to your race uh, rather than farther from your race. Although, if you only have access farther from the race, that would be better than not running on those trails at all. And for ultras, usually the blocks have slightly different names than what the roaches say. It usually goes base, which is aerobic, uh, then VO2max. Which is the same as their economy phase one just working on the intervals and then threshold which is the same as economy phase two working on your lactate threshold and then endurance uh, which is specific to the ultras because we're working on the longer runs as sustained efforts so all of that is around adding intensity to our workouts and so I want to touch on adding volume just a little bit there's not quite as much to say about adding volume but there are some things. So Aaron asked me does the general 10% rule apply to time, miles, or both? So in general it applies to mileage but only because most people make their plans based on mileage and not time so I think it can apply to time as well. It's a very similar um, idea as mileage, and it's a good starting point. I do want to mention that 10% rule is not rooted in science. Um, It was kind of just passed down from decade to decade from running coaches past, but it's not a terrible rule, and it's a good place to start. But if like when you're first starting out, and you're not running terribly high mileage, that 10% rule could be too small so devin says if like it's in the way and a workout has to be cut short should it be a steady run a speed workout or hill which one would be missed least um so i think it depends where you are um on your training plan compared to your race but in general one workout isn't going to make or break your race so If life gets in the way you have to miss a workout then I wouldn't stress about it Um, yeah one of the things I'm going to talk about tomorrow is your being consistent is more important than doing everything perfectly and you're probably not going to do everything in your training plan that is planned Um, and that's okay Um, when I was training for my first ultra I was going off of the training or running your first ultra book by Christy, Chrissy something, um, anyway, she had a lot of speed workouts in there that I just never did because of life. <laughs> um, that's not to say it wouldn't have benefited me, but missing one, I don't think will terribly affect your race or your training in general, but it would depend on which block you're in, on which would be best to do in your short amount of time. If that makes sense. So like if you're in your VO2 max block then you would want to try to get some intervals in versus a steady run. But if you're in your lactate threshold then you would probably want to do if you could fit in a tempo run do that or Um, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to just go for a short easy run if that's all you have time for and you can't do a workout because you're still going to benefit from that easy run. Um, It'll give your body the stimulus of running. It won't add too much stress and usually if life gets in the way of a workout, you're probably pretty stressed, you know, so I hope that response helps. Um, So, where was I? The 10% rule, right. So when you're first starting out, if you're going by the 10% rule, it might be not enough of an increase. So, like if you're doing 10 miles a week and then you do 10% more the next week, so you're at 11 miles and then the week after that would be another 1.1 and then you're at 12.1. Oh, you're welcome, Devon. I think in that case like increasing by one mile a week would be too low so the 10% rule there is kind of like "Mm," because you could probably handle more than just adding on one mile plus if you're training for a race and you're just adding one mile each week that's going to unless it's like a really hard mile on a really steep hill that's taking you forever that's going to It's going to take you way too long to build up to what you need for your race, you know? Um, But in general, that's a good rule to start with, but don't get too preoccupied with that 10% number. So with regards to adding volume, usually more conditioned athletes will be able to handle a greater increase than newer runners, which makes sense. They're more used to running. They've been doing it longer. Their bodies are more conditioned for it. and they've probably done increases in the past so if you're a newer runner just be aware of that but gradual increases are the safest way to keep yourself injury free and free from over training and if you are doing um a volume increase week to week don't just add it to one run unless it's a pretty small increase like that one mile increase you could add it to one run otherwise if you spread it out it would be adding like 0.2 to each run um but like for example if you're increasing your mileage by 10 miles week to week then it would be better rather than adding 10 miles to your long run which would be really extreme it'd be better to do like four to your long run and then add two miles to your tuesday wednesday thursday runs something like that just to spread out the load so that the increase in mileage is less stressful than it would be if you applied it all at once and i just want to mention that increasing intensity and volume while we're only talking about running here since i'm a running coach um, this also applies to any other activities that you like to do so it applies if you start incorporating or increasing your strength training um, or climbing because i know some of my friends are here Um, or if you like biking or swimming anything like that so any other activity that you are adding to your week should be taken into account when you are also incorporating your running training increases. Um, I feel like a lot of times people only look at running and forget about all of the other things that they're doing that will contribute to the stress on their body, you know. So naturally, when you start adding intensity and mileage, you might start experiencing DOMS. Uh, Delayed onset muscle soreness, which I'm sure we are all very familiar with. So the cause of DOMS is usually, or it's primarily from the eccentric contractions of your muscles. So it's when your muscles are lengthening rather than when they're shortening, which is a concentric contraction. Um, So the theory is that muscles are pulled to a point at which damage occurs at the subcellular level, which causes inflammation. And another theory is that less motor units are recruited during eccentric contractions, so the muscle fibers have more stress on them since there's less of them being recruited to work. And for us runners, our most common areas, as I'm sure this won't surprise anyone, are hamstrings, quads, and calves. So our hamstrings usually become sore because they lengthen to decelerate the lower leg as we're running in our gait and so if we have a higher stride rate which usually comes with increasing our speed or if we are heel strikers and we land farther forward in our gait um, that will put more stress on our hamstrings and they'll be more likely to get sore and quads these act as a brake upon foot strike and this is especially true on downhill running so if you guys have ever hiked up a mountain and then you know that's kind of hard but you did it and then going down is the worst I don't know if any of you guys agree but yes calves and Achilles Mine are never happy with me either Liz Um, but quads my quads are always blown going down mountains so is because they are acting as the brake when i'm trying to get back to my car after being away for so long um, and then calves as liz said these are a problem area for a lot of us i think um, this is a common sore area when you are switching to a midfoot strike or if you land more on your forefoot which is what i do um, so your soleus muscle which is the muscle behind your the big calf muscles that you, are visible um, it, it stabilizes your foot during your foot strike and it acts as a brake to lower your heel to the ground so that's usually the reason that calves get sore so if you do experience DOMS they can start as early as six to eight hours after a hard workout and it doesn't peak until about 48 hours after which I'm sure if you've ever had muscle soreness, the next day, you're like, okay, I'm fine. And then the day after that, you're like, why am I dying so much? You know, um, and when you first start incorporating a hard workout, the first week is usually the worst, but the good news is from there, your muscles start adapting and then your doms are usually less than the first week, assuming that you're not doing a completely different workout that like uses your body in a completely different way um so yeah so sometimes when you do have doms you're just so sore you can't even fathom going for a run so in those cases it's best to exercise at a low intensity and try not to use the muscles affected by the doms or use them in a different range of motion so If your calves are just absolutely dying, you can't even go for an easy run, like a recovery run, it could be beneficial to hop on a bike and go for an easy ride since your calves won't be utilized as much as with running, for example. And then massage can help depending on the severity and it's recommended that you do not take any NSAIDs um, because they reduce your body's inflammation which is the body's natural response to your muscles that need repairing. So the next thing I want to talk about will not come as a shock to anyone. We've all heard it a million gazillion times but some tips for dealing with increasing your intensity or volume. Prioritize your rest and recovery so this is when rest days become even more important because you need that time to recover from those hard workouts or if you are doing recovery runs instead of a rest day this is when it becomes super important to make sure you're running those easy enough so as not to put more stress on your already stressed out body Uh, and then these next two are what we've all heard all the time from everyone Make sure you're prioritizing your sleep. Uh, We all need to sleep at least seven hours up to probably 10 hours a night. So make sure you're getting your sleep when you start increasing your training loads. Um, That's when the body does a lot of its repairing and recovery, so it's really important. And along that same vein, make sure that you are eating well and also eating enough. So if you're increasing your activity, Um, by intensity or volume, you probably need to be eating a little more. Um, And if you don't eat enough, this will just put extra stress on your body, which could lead to not recovering, could lead to injury or overtraining, which is what we're gonna talk about next. Uh, And then the last tip, which I think I've mentioned earlier, but don't increase both at the same time. So don't add a speed workout and also increase your mileage by 10 miles in a week. Um, just focus on increasing one or the other and so your body has time to adapt and recover without being overwhelmed. Um, and just a reminder, as I said before, if you are incorporating speed workouts for the first time, it's recommending it's recommended that you reduce your volume, at least for the first couple weeks, just to take into account the added intensity. So then our primary fear when increasing training loads is overtraining and none of us want to be in that situation because it leads to you hating running or in worst case it leads to a running injury and then you're sidelined for a bit and it just sucks basically. So. The symptoms of overtraining first is a lack of energy Um, and I'm not talking about one day you feel really tired you know because we all have bad days and not every day is going to be super high energy or anything but if you start noticing a trend like five days in a row you're super low in energy then that could be a potential sign. And then going along with that is a loss of motivation and enthusiasm for your training or racing so basically when you're mentally burnt out and same with this i'm not talking about one day you had a long day at work and you had a run scheduled after work and you just really are tired and you don't want to go you know because that happens every now and then to all of us but if it's like a week straight you don't want to go on any of your runs then that could be a sign that you're getting a little burnt out or you're already burnt out and then on the flip side of that if you feel a compulsive need to train and exercise so if rest days start becoming super stressful and you're like i have to go running i have to i can't miss a running day that could also be a sign that you're overtraining which is kind of counterintuitive but something else to look out for. And then this one we talked about a little bit yesterday. Um, if your heart rate during exercise or at rest is substantially higher or lower than it normally is, that could indicate overtraining. And then inability to recover from workouts and a decrease in training capacity and intensity. Those go hand in hand. If you notice you stop recovering well um, could be an onset. So. Some things to track that can help you get in front of overtraining uh, are energy, um, mood. I know for me, when I start doing a little too much, I get really irritable for no reason. And then just end up you know, picking a fight with my fiance over literally nothing. And then (laughs) I look back on it and I'm like, oh yeah, it's probably did a little too much that week, you know, getting on the brink of overtraining. Um, Tracking your resting heart rate and just noticing your heart rate during exercise, just to compare it to your average. Um, The one thing I wanna say about that is make sure if you're comparing your heart rate during exercise, you're comparing for the same effort level. So like don't compare your heart rate during an easy run to your heart rate during intervals. Seemingly obvious, but. Um, and then the last two things uh, track your fatigue and motivation. So this is where it's good if you like have a training log just to note if you didn't feel like going that day, how stoked you felt on your workout, things like that. And then the last thing is, I think one of the most important things to track is just your overall stress because um, this can help you see when like if you have a big work presentation that's really stressful that might not be top of mind when you're thinking about your running training but that stress could lead to your body being too overloaded um, and then you go running and you get into the overtraining area or you know god forbid get an injury um So keeping track of other stresses outside of your training, I think is really helpful, especially if you can start to see trends. um, Like when this happens at work or this happens in my relationship, then my running starts to feel really shitty. Um, So it really helps you get in tune more with your body and then that helps you better avoid overtraining. So. In some cases, in most cases, most of us at some point will be overtrained or injured, unfortunately. So, if you are in that camp, um, my first advice is just to take some days off. Uh, you might just need a like a little break from running to mentally and physically recover and just come back really excited. Um, if you don't feel like you need to take a break from running it can be helpful to run without expectations so run without your watch on don't track your time don't track your mileage just go out and go for as long as feel good and then call it a day so that can take a lot of pressure out of running and expectations we put on ourselves. and then similarly make running fun so if you're just kind of burnt out um, on running on roads, then head to a trail if you find that more fun. And same thing, don't track mileage or time goal, just go on trails and be happy, or run with your friend and catch up, or throw on your favorite music and jam out while you're running. Um, anything that would make running more fun and less of like a chore. It's usually when you're overtrained, running turns into something that's just added to your tick list for the day, you know, something you have to get through. So we just wanna change that. And if running sounds truly dreadful, but you don't want to stop exercising, then this is a good time for you to do some cross training. So a lot of us do like other sports that aren't running. So like for my climbers, it's a good time. Maybe just go climbing for a few days instead of running or since it's winter go skiing for a bit or go on a bike ride you know anything that is still exercising since if we're runners we probably love exercising but it's not running so the last thing i want to talk about and then i have one more question from dre um, when overtraining results in an injury um as much as we don't want to admit it most of us will be in this situation if not once more than once um and it sucks you know but (sighs) there's actually a new acronym in town it used to be rice was the recommended way to treat an injury the new acronym is peace and love (laughs) so peace stands for protection so, avoid activities and movements that increase pain during the first few days after your injury. Um, elevation, which is the same as in rice, elevate your injured limb higher than your head if you can. Um, avoid anti inflammatories and icing. Like I mentioned before, these could prolong the healing phase because they are um, stunting your body's natural reaction to an injury and what it does to heal. Um, The C is compression, same as rice. And then the E is education. So I think this one is super important. Um, It also might just be because I really like to learn things. But I think educating yourself on what your injury is, what are the common causes of it, so you can kind of try to pinpoint what exactly happens so you can know how to prevent it in the future. And then if you go to someone to get your injury treated, learning about the exercises that will help you come back from that injury or help prevent it in the future, I think is also very empowering. And then love is load. So you let your pain guide your gradual return. O is optimism. So you want to be positive and confident. Um, We all know the mind is a very powerful thing. So if you're injured and sitting around all day just thinking about how you're in such a shitty situation and you're never going to heal you're never going to be the same runner that will affect your healing process you know Uh, it sounds really woo woo and if Chelsea's still here she knows what I'm talking about but optimism can help a lot Um, and V is vascularization so if you can't run Choose pain-free cardio to increase blood flow to your repairing tissues, that can help a lot. And then E is just exercise. So usually when you're injured, if you can't run, you can find something else you can do that will keep you healthy Rather, in most situations. In some situations, you're gonna be bedridden for a while. But most of us, we get overuse injuries You know my foot was hurting in november but i could still do other activities that i like so just try to keep exercising if you can so i like that new acronym i think it's really helpful and hopefully it'll help some of you if you're in an injury situation so my last question from dre is when not training for a race how often should we taper the mileage so if you did just run a race there's normally a transition period after the goal race where you scale back or completely take time off running depending on what your race schedule was like um, how you're feeling physically and mentally how motivated you are to keep training um but when we're not training for a race so if you're not racing for a long time so like what happened last year with COVID. And maybe this year depending on what happens with races. I think it depends how you feel about running, how you're recovering from running, how you feel mentally, what's going on in your life. Um because if you're if you're basically in your base building phase, you don't need to taper your mileage as much, but there are some natural times that you would want to scale back your running during the year. So I think it can help to look at your running over the course of a year or multiple years. Um, So map out like the races you want to do. And then from there, you can work backwards and see how far in advance you need to start training for those. And then that will allow you to see some pockets where you're not really training for a race. You don't really need to start building a base if you don't want to yet. Um, and that can tell you where uh, some good times to scale back would be um, and those times could be like winter months like now if you want to focus on skiing more or like if you had your last race in August and then you're a climber and you want to spend the fall climbing outside as much as possible that would be a good time to taper your mileage so yeah I think just plotting out of your races and then just having um, check-ins with yourself every now and then to see how you're feeling about running your body will usually tell you when you need to scale back on your mileage Um, and if it doesn't you can keep going if you're feeling really excited to keep running you know so if you guys have any questions now is a good time to ask them and hopefully, Dre, my answer has helped with your questions. Thank you always for sending me questions. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, please leave a rating, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. And if you want to connect further, you can find me on Instagram at coachingclutz. Online at www.coachingcluts.com or send me an email at kellycoachingcluts.com. At Thanks for listening!